This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. Good afternoon. My name is Ian Mankini. I am the Director of Electronic Marketing and Enrollment Management at Suffolk University Law School. Today is February 17, 2011, and we are hosting at Suffolk Law School an event called Challenging Judicial Independence. Two of the speakers in the event, Justice John Graney and Justice Michael Strait, will be joining us today on this podcast. So, Judge Graney, if you could introduce yourself, please. Uh, yes, I'm uh, Justice John Graney. I served on the Massachusetts Trial Court, Appeals Court, and Supreme Judicial Court for a total of 35 years, and now I'm a law professor at Suffolk and director of the Macaronis Institute for Trial and Appellate Advocacy. And Judge uh, Strait, if you could introduce yourself, please. Yes, I'm Michael Strait. I um, have a similar background to Justice Graney. I had 27 years on the bench, almost 28 uh, from the trial courts of Iowa, Court of Appeals, Supreme Court, um, and uh, I have recently uh, left the Iowa Supreme Court due to a, uh, an election that uh, voted out three members, almost half our court, in election in 2010. Uh, so now I'm uh, lecturing and practicing law and doing things like that. And uh, Judge Graney, if you could introduce today's program that you will be conducting. Today's program is a is on the subject of judicial independence, which has been a, a very important issue for a number of years, but has been really brought into focus by what I consider very unfortunate, and many others do too, um, on what occurred in Iowa, where three very outstanding justices of their court uh, were voted out of office on a, on a simple retention election uh, because uh, they participated in a panel of seven judges who, which uh, the panel unanimously approved same-sex marriage in Iowa. Uh, that was the motivating reason. Uh, they encountered very severe attacks. So the question we're debating today and exploring is, uh, what is judicial independence? Why is it important that judges be independent, as the founders of the country wanted in the Constitution, as John Adams wanted in the Constitution here? Why is it so important? Uh, what are the deficiencies in the elected system? And assuming that there's not going to be a mad rush to do away with the elected system, which, in my opinion, there's not going to be, how ought it to be? Uh, reformed so that bad results, if I can use that term, like what occurred in Iowa, do not occur again. And Judge Strait, if you wouldn't mind introducing your career and your experience in Iowa? Well, I'm uh, probably the patron saint for the nonpartisan uh, selection or the merit selection of judges. Uh, when I started out, I had been a small-town lawyer in southern Iowa, and I had practiced law for about 10 years, a little less than 10 years, actually. I was too young to go on the bench. Uh, but an opening occurred because of what we had in the Midwest, and we called it the farm crisis, where the uh, price of uh, uh, land went to about half of what it was, uh, the price of corn went to a dollar a bushel, and foreclosures, foreclosures, foreclosures started. So I was appointed to the district court by Governor Branstead through a merit selection process, uh, and I served for about 14 years, 13 and a half years, and then came back uh, and was appointed by the same governor, Governor Branstead, who was a Republican, at the time, he was considered a conservative Republican, and he appointed me to the Court of Appeals, where I served for uh, approximately five or six years. Governor Vilsack appointed me to the Iowa Supreme Court, and that's why I say I'm kind of the patriot saint for nonpartisan selection of judges, 
because uh, Governor Vilsack, who is now Secretary of Agriculture, is considered, uh, uh, by Iowa standards, a fairly liberal Democrat. And so I had been picked by a, a uh, Republican for two uh, judge positions and then by a Democrat. And partisan political factors just did not bear any uh, significant role in the selection of me. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't occur in our system. People of uh, one ilk or the other will tend to pick people of their, of their own thinking. But uh, frankly speaking, most of the time in, in the state of Iowa, you're around judges every day, day in and out, and you have no clue to what political party they are. Recently, um, in uh, the fall of 2010, uh, me and two other of my colleagues were voted off the court. We were voted not to, to uh, start another eight-year term. Unfortunately, one of them had just started on the court. Uh, he had been there for about a year and a half, and he was voted off. Uh, in, in the nomination process, our governor has to pick from the group of nominees, and there's going to be nine nominees because of, there's three seats open, so uh, three nominees for each seat. He's got nine candidates. I was personally shocked when I heard the political parties of some of these candidates, these judges, some of them are judges, and they were nominated, and I had no idea they were Republicans. Uh, but the, the paper and everybody uh, in, inspected them now. Uh, now that we've had this uh, election, and it turned out that uh, of our in our system, uh, with our nominees for the current seats, there's six out of the nine are Republicans. I've predicted that our governor right now, with the politically charged atmosphere that this is being conducted in, will probably not appoint a Democrat, even though uh, there's some former judges, there's some judges on that panel that were appointed by him to the trial court, that I just don't think he's... Uh, He's going to do that. He is politicizing uh, the selection process to the extent that his council has been uh, actively involved in promoting candidates and things like that. So uh, I don't think it's necessarily going to be good for nonpartisanship in the state of Iowa for the near future. In the long run, we don't know. We hope this is an aberration, the, uh, the judges leaving the bench the way we have. But I've done 27 years, and... It's, it's been a good 27 years, and I enjoy uh, things such as this. Uh, this is such a dynamic, wonderful law school here in Boston, Suffolk, that uh, has uh, welcomed me here. And uh, we're going to have a program tonight and, uh, uh, to talk about judicial independence. Uh, and, it, and having been around the school for a few days, uh, what a uh, intellectually charged atmosphere this place is. It's just a dynamic school. Boston should just be proud of this place. Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about the 2009 uh, ruling for same-sex marriage in Iowa? Yes, we had um, six couples, or seven couples, that uh, went in and got, tried to get marriage licenses and were turned down. And they came to the court to say uh, uh, the refusal to give us marriage license as state action and, and interpreting the uh, statute that had been uh, passed about ten years before was a violation of equal protection. They also argued due process. The trial court agreed on both counts. Uh, incidentally, that trial judge was up for retention also, and he got retained. Uh, that reflects more than anything just that he's from an urban uh, urban county to where he, uh, where he sits, and he was easily retained in his county, even though I uh, joke him that he started it all. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he ruled in favor of uh, equal protection as, uh, as an interpretation of violation of the uh, DOMA, uh, the uh, the protection of marriage uh, law that we had in Iowa. 
I mean, it came to our court. It pinned. It, it, it was pending for about a year and a half. Argued to us. We had approximately 40 amicus briefs filed with us. If you stacked up all the briefs on paper, it'd be about a yard of paper. Lots and lots of material. And we had oral arguments uh, presented to our court, full house in the audience. We had overflow rooms. We broadcasted live on the internet and a bit stream. We knew this was a big case. It was not a surprise to us as to the as to the tensions that mounted. When we got done with the decision, uh, it was assigned to a writer that, uh, as it turns out in retrospect, was the best writer for our group. He's probably the most conservative justice on the court. He's now our chief justice. But if in the past cases, when I uh, when I found a statute unconstitutional, uh, he wrote one of the dissents. Uh, he, he's a fairly conservative justice. And we drew the name out of the hat on who's going to write the case. People don't believe it. They think it's like the Supreme Court is, is assigned for strategy reasons, U.S. Supreme Court. When they assign the writer, a lot of times they do it for strategy reasons, and it's not a random. Ours is done randomly. We did it exactly with this case, but this one we specifically drew it out of a hat, and uh, he was assigned the case. Uh, We uh, got done with the opinion. The legislature was still in session. We debated the issues of when when to come out with our opinion, and I think we'll talk about that a little bit tonight in our program, but... We decided, let's just go forward. Everybody predicted it was going to be pending with us for well over a year, which would have put us into the election cycle, which we didn't feel was going to be fair to to anybody involved, and it wouldn't be right. We decided to issue our opinion while the legislature is still in session. They could begin the constitutional uh, amendment process if they so wished, and we couldn't be accused of playing politics by waiting until they left town. Our, Our legislature... Uh, comes in usually for four to five months every year and, and leaves town generally by uh, April or first part of May. And we decided to issue our opinion. They had about six weeks to take it up. Uh, they did not. They've had another session since then. They have not. So the amendment process has been slowed. Uh, but our opinion basically struck down the law that said a, a marriage consists of a, of a man and a woman. We found that equal protection mandated that that occur. Since then, uh, marriages have occurred in Iowa. Uh, same-sex marriages have occurred in Iowa. It's probably 1% of the marriages in Iowa are same-sex marriage. It's insignificant as far as the numbers go, uh, but it shows that it's a minority group that, uh, that the Equal Protection Law was aimed to protect. And um, I was wondering if I could get both of your take, your take on the Citizens United decision. Yeah, Judge Graney, um, I think it's wrong. However, I'm very respectful of the court, as I tell my students to be respectful in constitutional law, so accept the decision. And that's the bedrock of our system, that we don't go out in the streets and protest when a decision comes down that we think may be wrong. But I, I think it's wrong. I recognize at the same time that there's some very respected First Amendment scholars that think it is correct, because there is a category of a co- corporate speech uh, that is is protected. What disturbs me, however, is the overruling of two very recent precedents in that case, which um, would have uh, led the result to go in a different direction. And at the same time, as I understand the decision, the invalidation of some significant portions of a, of a law passed by Congress, uh, which in my opinion is somewhat disrespectful of the other branch, uh, having said that, not liking it, I think it's going to have a disastrous effect on judicial elections. I'm not so sure 
it'll have that same effect on pure political elections because there's a lot of firepower on the other side of corporations, labor unions and those kinds of folks will be supporting uh, candidates that perhaps corporations don't want. But in judicial elections, it opens it up to a whole new level of attack. Even simple retention elections, which were never meant to arrive at the state they're at now, where huge sums of money can pour in, attacks that are positively scandalous can be made. Retention elections were, in my opinion, were supposed to be narrowly focused on whether the judge had done his work, gotten his decisions out, been fair and impartial, complied with the code of ethics for the judiciary, and so on, done some civic involvement to teach about what courts do, etc. Uh, now they've gotten into these partisan, even retention elections, these fiercely partisan campaigns and attacks, such as occurred in Iowa. And uh, the whole mission, the original mission of those elections, it seems to me, has been drastically distorted. And that's going to be considerably aggravated, in my opinion, by the Citizens United decision, coupled with another one called Minnesota versus White, which permits judicial candidates really to announce their positions on how they might rule on pending and future cases. And I think this is very, very unfortunate. I, I, I share those exact sentiments. Um, and it's a little unknown terrain that we're heading into with uh, almost all limits taken off uh, corporate contributions. Uh, we see that in judicial elections, uh, uh, not even creeping up right now. Uh, in Iowa, we had approximately a million four uh, thrown into the race against the three sitting justices, against three judges that had never run for office, had never run a political campaign. I myself had been out of politics for 27 years. I had been a part-time county attorney and had been ex- involved in that extent in a county of 10,000 people. This all came from out of state, seemingly unregulated with anonymous donors, and we're just the example of where anybody with any thought can see that this is not a good way to go in judicial elections. A better example of the things uh, Justice Green's talking about is um, in Illinois, and if I know I was going to talk, I'd find the man's name, but the justice in western Illinois, and they're, they're in judicial districts in Illinois, um, spent $2.2 million himself mm-hmm. for a retention election, not a partisan election, a retention election, where the business interest, having read a, a decision that uh, he participated in concerning uh, limitations of damages for medical malpractice, they, they thought that as a sign that we, he's not pro-business. So these business interests started a campaign. They spent $1.8 million trying to have him voted off. Of course, their campaign had nothing to do with what their interests were. Their campaign was all what Justice Green was talking about. It was all just uh, distorted, warped commercials about his judicial activism, his setting criminals free, uh, letting rapists run wild, uh, and things such as this, and they just hid behind this uh, this uh, barrage of false and phony issues. When their real issue was about limitations of damages, which I assume uh, have, I didn't read that case, but I assume it was a due process decision that uh, the uh, the state legislature was taking away rights of individuals to damages, which is uh, established in common law. And if you do that without due process, it's a violation of the Illinois Constitution. Well, the business interests don't see it that way. They they want uh, to have no uh, lawsuits against them uh, for certain kinds of damages. But they, they waged this campaign, and he had to raise this money 
Now, everybody said he's a wonderful judge. We get exposed to him because he lives in the western part of Illinois and borders on Iowa. And so the, the lawyers and stuff know him in, in eastern Iowa and speak very highly of him. But, you know, where did he raise this money? Who does he owe money to? Who does he owe promises to? What promises were made? It really impinges upon judicial independence. And, and what it really does is, is not even the actual function. It's the perception of the public, of our court system, our citizens are going to trust our court system less and less, the more and more money that pours into it. And our whole reputation, our whole credibility as a court system, as, as a system delivering justice equal to all, is dependent upon the trust of our citizens. And when we are just like any other politician, accepting money, soliciting money, pandering to the interests that will give us money uh, for this election or help me in the last election, it will lessen our credibility as, as judges, uh, our credibility of our judicial system. So I think a citizen united uh, is an unfortunate turn of events. I think what they're going to have to do, perhaps President Obama was trying to address this, is that we're going to have to live with it, but we're going to have to adjust and try to regulate. You know, we have a First Amendment, on, on uh, but we regulate speech in many different ways, and I think in politics we're going to have to figure out how to do it in a constitutional way. Uh, that can uh, combine with the Minnesota case. Uh, it's something that the court systems... Uh, throughout the states uh, are going to have to just struggle with in the future. And my final question for you both is, do you foresee any type of calls for reform with regard to uh, election of judges? Well, in Massachusetts, we're, Judge Graney, we're somewhat <clears throat> isolated from that phenomenon because um, we have tenure till age 70, I'll call it life tenure. We border on Rhode Island, which has true life tenure. We border on New Hampshire, which has life tenure. Um, Connecticut doesn't seem to have uh, terribly bad uh, elections for their judges. So the New England sector, if I can use that term, is somewhat removed from the turmoil that has gone on in the rest of the country. On the other hand, I know of cases such as Justice Streit, uh, former Justice Penny White of the Tennessee Supreme Court, and others who have been exposed to these attacks irrational attacks in elections that have just gotten totally out of hand and become almost libelous in their contents and their approach to getting a judicial candidate defeated. There are, it seems to me, though I think Justice Strait would know more about it than I do, some beginnings of reform. I mentioned yesterday I read that New York, which has elected judges except for their highest court, now is attempting to require that any judge, elected judge, who has received a a significant contribution, and that will be defined in terms of dollars, uh, will not be able to sit, will have to recuse himself or herself on the case uh, that that donor, lawyer, or firm, whatever it might be, uh, if they appear before the court. That's a good start, and hopefully more states will do that. Justice Strike mentioned that Perhaps controls can be implemented within the constitutional framework set by Citizens United. I think creatively that can be done as well. There are a lot of very intelligent, spirited people, both Democrats and Republicans, that think what has happened now is totally out of hand. And I would count on them because they understand the structure of what the courts are supposed to be in a democratic system. I would count on them, and I think they will respond 
to begin to develop reforms to get this under control. And the Iowa situation, without going on too long, I think has brought it into crystalline focus. And I hope a lot of good will come from the unfortunate occurrence in Iowa. Those are all just beautiful thoughts. I mean, um, you can tell he's put <laughs> considerable thought into this. Right now, we're still on the ebb and flow of uh, the politics of this. Uh, before the election, I had uh, offered, and we uh, actually had somebody from uh, Colorado, which has a, a unique system, and there's other, there's uh, three or four other states that have gone to this on a method of evaluation judicial conduct. And they have a, a citizen involvement. Their judicial selection process is a little more diverse. That is, the people that do the nominating are uh, the nominating commissions and the merit selection process come from uh, different parts of the political uh, sectors. Right now, our governor nominates half our commissioners, and the lawyers elect the other half. And it's uh, it's thought that perhaps the lawyers should not have a, as big a role in this process, and and that's that's subject to attack. So what uh, some of the systems, such as in Colorado, have gone to is that we have the Speaker of the Senate, the Speaker of the House, the lawyers, the governor. They all put lay people and lawyers on these commissions to where it's uh, not quite uh, the way it's set up now. I I hope Iowa explores that um, in the future. Right now, though, I do have to. Right now, the uh, the uh, forces of the, uh, that have voted out us three in Iowa, uh, they feel empowered, and they will be pushing for uh, many different reforms. And hopefully, the the, um, the legislature, uh, Senate, and our governor will see the wisdom of trying to continue with our system with some modification. But what they would like to do is move to partisan elections in Iowa, just like uh, a lot of other states. There's only about 11 states that have merit selection, and they are just the best of the states. The United States Chamber of Commerce has done a, uh, it's more of a poll, but it's a study of uh, uh, the good and the bad courts, and um, they have a subcommittee, they have a name on it, but the Chamber of Commerce, as a fairly conservative group of individuals, has always ranked Iowa as in the top five states for fair and impartial courts. And we hope people like that will step forward. They, you know, everybody wants fair and impartial courts. They do not want partisan courts. But I think that the political train is such that change is going to happen, and it'll be uh, up to people like uh, Justice Graney, myself, and, and the lawyers. And the non-lawyers, that's going to be the key to all this, is the non-lawyers stepping up and, and speaking. Because, frankly, I think right now a lot of those people are intimidated by the forces uh, that uh, would want judges simply elected as any other politician. To show you the extreme example of that, which uh, we hope uh, will never happen in the majority of our states, but uh, if you go down to um, Alabama, uh, they have judges there that run as Tea Party judges. They are they are partisan party. You go to Judge Parker, Tom Parker is his name, he's a justice on the Alabama Supreme Court. He was strongly elected again this last fall, and he is a Tea Party judge. And he spends most of his time out to Tea Party rallies and partisan elections, and he even came to Iowa to campaign against us. So uh, do we want a judiciary like that? Do we want a political judiciary? Do we want judges weighing and balancing all their decisions? How is this going to play on my next election? Um, Frankly, I don't think we want to. I think all of us are going to have to uh, roll up our sleeves and to um, stop any of this uh, tendency in politics 
to make judges like any other politicians. So the change is going to occur. Uh, we hope it's for the better. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.